Special guest this week, former Notre Dame All-American, two-time captain, top 10 pick, uh, played in the Super Bowl last year. Mike McGlinchey joined the show. Uh, Matt, we could tease the interview a little bit. It was uh, it was a good one. We, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there uh, if you're listening uh, and, and want about some offensive line play and also some um, team shenanigans. I feel like it's a very sports writer cliche to say the offensive line men are always the best talkers on the team um and i think we at the shamrock are are absolutely validating uh that cliche by having the ryan harris's the aaron taylor's mike mcglinchey's of the world on here and seeing them go no holds barred um because they're just awesome they're a different group of dudes they give you insight that you can't discern on your own that you can't get from anywhere else and mike mcglinchey had some takes on those who who do think (laughs) they are offensive line experts and and uh, you'll look forward to hearing from him on that. But um, it was just a great interview. Great, guy. Yeah, You entered it by saying he's one of the best guys to talk to in Notre Dame, and you know, you can't say it any better. Um, he was a pro's pro. I mean, to be a captain on a 4-8 and eight team and come back as a captain the next year when everyone thought you were going to go off for the NFL and, and help lead that team to uh, be in the playoff mix in, in the final month and to win the Joe Moore Award. I mean, he's uh, his legacy is secure in Notre Dame. That's uh, for sure. All right. Well, we'll get to that interview. One of my all-time favorites. Uh in the brief history of the shamrock but i think it's going to probably stand the test of time after you get done listening so matt and i will come back on the other side of that talk a little bit about pit preview that game uh, offer some predictions but first mike mcclinchy Thrilled to welcome onto the Shamrock, one of my all-time favorite Notre Dame interviews in 20 years on the beat. Uh, First-round pick, starting tackle uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, Mike McGlinchey. Uh, kind enough to spend some time in season with us. Mike, I guess, first off, how is life in California these days? What's uh, how, how is the NFL lifestyle treating you? It's uh, it's good. Everything's good out here, just hanging out. Uh, weather's a lot better than South Bend, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, we're, st- I'm still getting sunburned at practice and all that kind of stuff, which is good. Um, but life's good. We're just, uh, thankful that we're able to play a season and hopefully keep, uh, building on the win that we had this past weekend. How plugged in, dialed in can you be to your alma mater w- with your busy schedule right now? I mean, did you have kind of a ritual every Saturday, depending on whether you're home or on the road? What's, what's the connection like? Yeah, no doubt. I always, I, I mean, I know exactly who we're playing, when we're playing, where, what channel it's going to be on, all that. I'm very connected to Notre Dame. I still have a lot of friends there. Um, you know, my best friend Hunter Biven is now the player development uh, director of player development there, um, and I still have a got a lot of guys that I played on the offensive line with and uh, uh, that are there too. So very, very connected. Um, very proud. Um, I drive my NFL teammates absolutely insane because I am I, I am such a proud domer and uh, and and homer. Um, I don't let anybody forget where I went to school. Um, I often walk into walk into the locker room on on Saturday after or Saturday mornings playing "Here Come the Irish" by Kathy Richardson, dressed in all green or all Notre Dame, and um, don't take it off until the walkthrough. So everybody gets a good feel about what I'm about uh, on Saturday afternoons and. 
and uh, there's only stars one just like us. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Notre Dame's offensive line. I, I want to cut to something Brian Kelly said during the week, or maybe it was last week, where he felt like this was the best offensive line he has had from top to bottom. And I'm like, all right. I've covered some good ones here. Um, you know, 2017, pretty good, um, if I remember correctly. But I then I so I pressed him on it, and his point was more like, all right, the 2017 line, you had Mike and you had Q, and then, you know, Alex and Sam were younger, you know, not as experienced, and then you had Rob and Tommy who were hadn't played at all. Um, and then he looks at this line and feels like the kind of the four spot and the five spot are so much more experienced than maybe the 2017 group was. So I, I'm curious, like how you see that and how, what, what impact that makes on a, on a line when you have all five guys back opposed to maybe just like two top 10 picks and, and some younger guys who are developing. No, that's uh it's extremely huge to have that kind of chemistry. Um, I will say that probably from top to bottom, the experience is 17 is probably um, less than the one that is now. Um, but I think we had this similar situation in 2015 when all of us came yep. back. And um, I'd, I'd like to argue that that was a pretty top-to-bottom, pretty <laughs> complete line as well. Um, uh, you know, the bit of pride in me as a competitor won't let Coach Kelly live that down. But, um, no, these guys have been playing their ass off, man. They are uh, they're as impressive of a group as there is in the country. Um, they pre- I know the kids well. I still talk to them very regularly. Um, and, 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 and they prepare their – as better as as good as anybody in the country and um and they compete and 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 tommy and and the coaching staff have have been giving them a lot of opportunities to show their stuff especially on the ground um which is always an o-lineman's dream and um you know when you it's nice to see notre dame line up in some 13 and 12 personnel and and get the ground and then get the ball on the ground and do that kind of thing and um these guys have answered the bell and uh, i'm so proud of them i'm proud of of how they've risen and how they've grown up as men and, and as football players and the work that they've put in uh, and, and, and the tradition that they've been able to keep on uh, that we, you know, all had a hand. Mike, it's the building. same five guys as last year and the performance is I wouldn't say night and day, but it's significantly better uh, than it was in 2019. From your point of view, where do you think that comes from? What do you think they're doing differently than they did last year? I think it's just a confidence thing. And I think it's also just a, 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 a confidence and, and motivating kind of thing. I think those guys knew that they were better than the, than what they put on last year. I don't think they were bad by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously um, we all live in a world at our position where everybody um, who has never played football. And if they did play football, probably didn't play on the opposite line um, <laughs> judging us on a daily basis. And so that's a, that's a tough deal of the position, but these guys have answered the call, you know, Notre Dame has always operated when uh, and operated to its best when the offensive line has been the strength of the team, and that was true when I was when I was at school before I was at school, and it and it continues to be true today. And this team is this offense is going to go as far as this group takes them, uh, and 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 that's the challenge that those guys have answered so far this year, and uh, couldn't be more prouder of that. You know, this might be a difference that's maybe it's small, maybe it's not, um, you know, but you sort of know the the lineage that has come through that line over the last decade from, from Zach, you know, to, to Ronnie, to you, to the guys now, what kind of influence do you think having Chris Watt around on a day-to-day basis has on these guys? I think that's absolutely huge for those guys. Um, I know Watt is um, as good of a a football guy as there is out there. And, 
He was a great teammate when I played with him. He was a great football player. Um, and he has, a, you know, he has a different perspective and he, and he played recently and he, and, and that's a, that's a different thing than sometimes listening to your O-line coach who, who definitely was a great player in his, in his day, but things are different. And so it gives an added perspective of a guy that was there under coach Kelly under, under a guy that was coached by, by the guys that are, that are there now. So they understand how they were brought up. And, um, and that's a cool part of, the, of, of, of having Watt there. And I, you know, I give her, I, I know Watt is doing an amazing job with the group. He's been invaluable to that group um, and helping them and bringing them, them bringing them along. Um, so proud of, of Watt and the job that he's doing and the, and the path that he's on. He's going to be a great O-line coach someday. And, uh, and his, 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 his presence there has definitely been uh, noticed in the, in, in the play on the field. Mike, I don't think anyone becomes an offensive lineman to get recognition. Uh, that being said, how validating, how great was it to be honored with the Joe Moore Award your senior year? And is that something you, you, you still kind of hold over these guys as kind of a carrot to, to, to kind of match the standard you guys set? Yeah, I, I don't I, yeah, I don't hold it over them as much. Maybe after the season I'll hold it over them. But um, they still have a chance, and they're, they're definitely the front runner in my mind. But um, – no, that was an incredible feat for us. Um, not only was it, uh, you know, uh, an honor to be the offensive line of the year and, 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 and accomplish something as a unit of five guys, or in our case, it was six guys um, doing it together. Um, it, was, it was an incredible thing for us, and, and it meant even more to us because of what it meant to, to Harry, um, our O-line coach, and um, what he was able to – uh, and, and Joe, Joe Moore was his mentor and he brought him up through the game of football. And, um, Joe was somebody that coach Eastan revered, um, and, and always told us about and always had his stories about. And I know that having his name on that trophy along with us and along with his group being the best in the land, um, meant, meant the world to him, which meant the world to us. You know, one of the, I think things that, I hear and maybe you heard when you were here about like offensive line play. It was, there was almost sort of like this, okay, great line in 2017, but can you run on Georgia? Um, you know, this group's going to get like, can you run on Clemson? Uh, maybe even this weekend, can you run on Pitt? Like they have the, the number one rush defense in the country. Like that is, I mean, it's unbelievably oversimplified. If somebody puts 10 guys in the box, like good luck running on them. Um, so like, what is it about like those kind of challenges where you sort of like would would love to point out to the common fan like hey you you actually can't run on this defense there's too many guys there to do it um versus like you know against Georgia I don't know how much they loaded the box in in 2017 when you're here but they also had Roquan Smith who was like two and a half players in one um like in those kind of instances like explain that to people who maybe don't get it when they're like, Oh, you know, the, the run game's great, but like, let's see what they do against Clemson or let's see what they do against Pitt. Well, what for, first of all, you know, they can't, you can't judge a game and how an offensive line plays based off of a stat sheet. Um, I stats are never stats rarely tell the story um, for an off the entirety of an offensive line. Um, they rarely, give any of the play justice um and 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 are most of the time misleading and um i think that the lack of and 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 the second thing is that teams like georgia like clemson um like miami when they were in 17 um they also 
see what is happening to other football teams. They see on tape week in and week out the grind that these guys put on different teams and, and the success that they have just, you know, splitting people open. And, and in 17, that was certainly the case. And, and, you know, obviously the strength of our football team was our offensive line and our run game. And it was pretty apparent to everybody. And so the game plan for those teams that have equal or to more talent than you is, all right, let's take away what they do best and see if they can beat us another way. Unfortunately for us, we weren't able to do that. Um, but these guys have a chance. And, and so I'm excited for that Clemson matchup. I, uh, I, and, and to the common folk, don't just judge it based off of sacks given up and total rushing yards or rushes per carry, because if you can rush four yards a carry and still control the game, that's success to me. That's there's different forms of success when it comes to the offensive line, because you have to take what the game gives you. And, and, and um, that's what people fail to understand. Um, and, and sometimes they get you in a scheme that you just can't have, you know, that you just can't block. And so um, things go spry and don't trust statistics and don't um, don't think the sky is falling. If, if at halftime you see the rushing attempts is only 2.7 yards of carry or something like that. I think you're the first guest we've had who's been teammates with both Tommy Reese, Andy and Buck. Um, you spanned a couple of generations yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, obviously, right in the middle. one was a senior when you had him. The other was, I think, a redshirt freshman. But um, what did you learn about your time in the huddle with those guys? What is it about that you saw in them then that that made you probably not surprised by the success they've had in each's field uh, right now? Well, all of us, um, all of us that were teammates with Tommy knew where he was going and what career path he was taking. Um, you know, he was as smart of a football player as, as, as there is. There, he was as smart of a quarterback as there ever as I've ever been around, especially at the college level. Um, you know, Tommy knew exactly how he was going to win and, and knew exactly how he was going to have success. And it was by being smarter than everyone. And that just makes um, that makes for a great coach and the drive that he had and the competitor that he is, um, you know, it, it, Tommy's got a, a, a serious edge to him that makes him great at what he does. And he's going to continue to grow and get better, um, which is really, really cool. And he had it as a player. Um, and, and Ian, you know, he's, he's kind of a different, he, he's, he's a different personality than Tommy. Ooh, um, but he, um, what's your guest name uh, for those who, who won't be able to see uh, when they listen tomorrow? Freddie, Freddie. Um, but Ian, he's the California kid, man. He's cool, calm and collected. He's a great competitor, throws, a pretty spiral, you know, the whole, and, and he's a talented guy and he's, he's had a lot of success. I think he's one of the most winning quarterbacks in the history of Notre Dame because of how long he's been there and the teams that he's played for. Um, he's done an awesome job and I loved playing with Ian and for Ian. And when he got in, you know, towards my fifth year, the end of my fifth year, um, we had a lot of success with him and he's had, and he's continued that going and, and, um, and, the two of them are, 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 it's easy to see why they get along and why they have the success that they do knowing both of them personally. Um, they, they, they match and, and, and they mesh as, uh, as, as quarterbacks and, and competitors. What about, uh, the way you've seen the offense and the run game in particular change, um, you with Tommy calling the plays after chip, what, um, how is the run game different? And I don't know if you could explain that without getting so wonky that the average <laughs> listener wouldn't be able to <laughs> understand what the hell you're um, talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's just different um, because I think with Tommy, it, it's obviously very similar. Tommy didn't um, go in to reinvent the wheel and, and, and try and change, right. you know, base concepts that we had success with. 
But he, what he does is that he brings in more personnel groupings. He, he, he does bigger personnel and he makes it easy. I mean, when you do stack the box and, and all that kind of stuff, when you have two or two or three tight ends or what, what we have a fullback on my team in the NFL. Um, but when you use that, you still, then you, then all of a sudden you start accounting for those extra hats that are in there. Dude. Um, he's, they start accounting for the extra hats that are in there and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, and, and you're still able to get something out of that run game. And, and um, I think that the scheme and the timing of the plays is a little different. You know, you see their trends as a play caller is a little different. Um, some of the situational play calling is a little bit different. Um, but both are, both are great in their own right. But Tommy um, has taken an approach to the team that he has now. And I think that that's become um, who he wants his team's identity to be. And, uh, and, and, and the personnel groupings that he uses and, 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 and different things like that. And, um, and, and it's cool. It's cool to watch. And, and, and it's been, it's, I'm sure it's a lot of fun to play it. There's been a little bit of angst, as you can probably imagine, have, having been here for, for five years after a 12-7 win and wondering if the sky's falling and when's the pass game going to get together and so forth. Am I crazy in thinking that this is a team that's, played at home in front of a strong student fan base, but but a smaller crowd. Uh, and Brian Kelly this week talked about the lack of a sense of urgency and so forth. Am I crazy in thinking that getting on the road just could be really good for these guys to, to finally let loose and be more of a complete team than I think everyone expects them to be? Yeah, I think maybe a change of scenery would be good. I don't know. if I, I don't know. I always felt more comfortable playing in Notre Dame Stadium rather than the other ones. Um, but – yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's a change of scenery. I think it's a change of pace. It gets you in a different mindset in some ways. And um, but I think I think when, when it comes down to it, it's it's the football game. They, they got they gotta they'll 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 clean up the execution. They'll clean up the timing. They'll clean up the you know anything that they are, have been struggling with. And you have to you have to remember that these kids have been you know they were off for six months before training camp started. Then they went into a three week quarantine in the middle of the damn season. And so you, you, things happen where you have to get your groove back and, and that's college football. And that's the way that football is this year. And, you know, for them to, but the thing that they have been doing is picking each other up each, each team and each, um, each side of the ball has stepped up when the other one didn't. And that's what's, uh, and that's playing complimentary football. That's playing, that's executing at a high level when you need to on command. And, and that's what these guys have been doing. And, they're going to continue to clean up the mistakes week to week and all that kind of stuff. And I can't wait to see what they build in the next few. And, and obviously everybody's awaiting that, you know, I don't want to, I'm never going to skip past Pittsburgh because of the, the pain in the side that they've been to Notre Dame, but um, there's a game in a few weeks that we're all ready to get, get going for. I, I want to ask you about one guy in particular, Liam, because you know, played your position. Um, mm-hmm. Notre Dame has just an incredible run of, I think it's all but, you know, if you include Liam in the group, but like all but two games, Notre Dame has had a first round pick at left tackle. Um, under under like, BK, right? Under BK, right? Yeah. Uh, Liam's game seems like he's taken a, a pretty big step forward. Like, what's what's different about him that you watch? I mean, he's he's been pretty open. Like, you know, confidence wasn't always great early on. Um, you know, he felt like maybe a fresh start with with Jeff Quinn after Harry was good for him at least. Um, what's different about his game? Um, that he's really sort of taken off now. I think it's that. I think it's um, Liam. Liam was like me. He was very, very similar in the way that he approached the game. 
a tireless worker, um, a guy that's that wants to be great so bad. He, everything he does, he does with the with as much intensity as he can possibly get out of himself. Um, and and that's what's. But but the two of us have the same kind of quality in that way, um, and we both over we were both overthinkers as well. And I think Liam right. has taken a huge step forward in simplifying the game for himself this year, having that swagger, having that confidence of a fifth uh, of a fifth year senior, a guy that's been around the block, a guy that's started for three years now, and and and, and, and a second full year with a feel for Tommy as a play caller and and the, and the situations that um, they, that Tommy puts him in and the reps that he has at the blocks. Um, so I think that. Um, Liam's taken a huge step forward. The abilities has always been there and he had great success last year um, as, a, as a starter too. Um, and and, and it, the ability has been there and he's finally putting it together to be the most, you know, one of the most consistent tackles in college football. And how, like how badass was the black guy? I was as pretty well? sweet. I, I, uh, I, I missed yeah. the, uh, I missed the play. Unfortunately, I, we were in night, uh, our meetings um, the night before the game. Um, but he, uh, I saw the pictures on Twitter, and I had to text him and 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 make sure his his face was okay um, because it, I I have I've had I've heard horror sport stories where guys have like broken orbital bones and stuff, and that's never any fun to deal with. So I was making sure that it was just a shiner, uh, but it was pretty badass, and the and the visor always looks pretty cool in the helmet when you put that on for protection. <laughs> Mike, I have a pretty good idea what the answers to these questions might be, but I want to hear your perspective. The toughest defensive line you faced at Notre Dame and the toughest you've faced uh, in the NFL so far? Could be player, player, team, whatever really stands out to you. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily their, um, their, their defensive line as a whole, but as much as it was just their front seven, I mean, Georgia in 17 was as good as anybody I'd ever seen in college football in my career. Uh, Clemson in 15 was a talented, really, really talented group. Um, You know, Stanford had a lot of years of really, really, really solid players that are still playing. You know, they might not have been the flashy first or second round picks, but they were guys that went in the third, fourth, fifth round that have had seven, eight-year careers and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think who else would have had a. That was pretty. Those are those are the most memorable ones. USC had a couple of guys here and there that were studs, um, but the t- the toughest D line as a unit we've faced in the NFL. We've played unfortunately twice a year is uh, the LA Rams. Their their whole group as a, as a unit is is pretty pretty top notch and pretty good top to bottom, um, and uh, and they've had a, a lot of success uh, over the last couple of years of uh, within that group and especially the, you know one one of the players um, I would I would I would yeah. say is probably the greatest in the game if not of all time or one of them at, of all time so and. Like and Chris Watt blocked him no problem. Chris Watt, and just, Steve so, Elmer, you know. Steve yeah. Elmer is a true yeah. freshman. We'll never forget it. We still, <laughs> I still, uh, every every time I play or every once in a while when I play LA, Steve will send me or we'll, we'll in our uh, old O line group chat the the guys will be like, hey McGlinch, you guys need to sign Steve off the street, and they'll send in the clips <laughs> of him, you know, t- uh, punching Aaron in the chest and all that stuff as a true freshman in college. Well, let, let's wrap up on this because I mean. You've done something that very few people in the world have done. You've played in a Super Bowl. Like, what was that experience like um, leading up to it, in it, after it? Um, I mean, that's that's the pinnacle. Yeah. Like, that's that's as 
big as it gets yeah, right there. It was uh it was the best thing in the world up until the last six minutes. Um, it was as cool of a, as cool of a thing as you can experience, especially as a football player. Um, the feeling that you get when you win the NFC championship and especially the way that we won the NFC championship last year. Um, we, 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 we kind of just ran up and down on green Bay all day. And, 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 and once the clock hit zero, we were like, Holy shit, we're going to the Super Bowl." And that feeling and that celebration afterwards and, and, you know, and hanging out with your teammates and your teammates, families and everybody that's in town, you know, everybody's at your house after the game. And that was a real, that the leading up to that was, that was an incredible feeling. And then the two weeks of excitement of just preparing to go to the Super Bowl, it's, it's uh, on the player's side, it's a lot more stressful than they let you, than they ever tell you it is of, you know, who gets to go to the game, how much things cost, where are hotels, where are this, that, and the other thing. Um, and so it was pretty cool. Um, actually, you know, my former teammates at the Notre Dame offensive line, um, the ones that were not playing, uh, none of the, no, none of the other ones were playing in the Super Bowl. All, you know, all call you and they're set because each player gets the opportunity to buy two tickets to the Super Bowl every year. And they were, they were nice enough to send me mine that, Hey, it's once in a lifetime deal. If you're, you know, here's, here's two tickets. If your family can, if, if any, if you need anybody else to go and all that kind of stuff, which meant the world to me, because that's a big deal. Um, that's a really, really big deal. And to have your friends call you out of the blue. I mean, obviously I talk to them regularly and I would do the same for them, but still means a lot to you. Um, and then the traveling down there going, it was in Miami of all places, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And then the game was electric. It was, uh, out the nerves, beforehand and it's so long of a pregame because of the anthem and the show and the everything and so it's a spectacle and you forget that the super bowl is a isn't just a football game that's where you feel this is an event this thing and so you're you know you're 20 yards you're 20 you're you're warming up on the field and you got you know movie stars walking up and down the sideline and it's like what where am i right now and so after that, um, you know, you, you, I remember sitting there at the national anthem and saying a prayer like I always do, and um, and just being like, "This is it! Like this is this is it doesn't get better than this." And and the game that I had and and the confidence that I put in myself moving forward to do it on that stage to play the way that I played um, um, was exciting, and. Um, there's also no heartbreak like losing it. Um, and that, that, that doesn't go away and, uh, it's been tough, but the cool thing is, is that you always get, you get another season and you go try and get it again. And, uh, that's all you can ever do in football. And that's what's great about our game is that it's a constant chase for that. I, I can't let and you, I, close. I can't let you go, uh, without asking. You're one of the few people to play in a Super Bowl. You're one of the few people to play for Harry. He Give us your best Harry. He story. Uh, before you sign off here, <laughs> profanity uh, okay. is allowed on this podcast. I will say it is allowed. Well, I can't. I would never. I would never uh, get too into detail <laughs> because those are very, very, very personal moments uh, between you and your and your beloved offensive line coach. <laughs> um, but there was a story. Um, it was pretty funny. Um, Hunter and I, Hunter Biven and I, had been out the night before and. You know, one thing led to another, and we wound up getting in a little bit of a brawl later that night. And so the next morning, um, 
we both get a text at like 7.30 in a group chat. And we had no idea Coach Easton knew how to group chat. We didn't know any of this. And it's come to my office, bring tennis shoes. And the two of us, um, the two of us are, you know, obviously feeling it from the night before and walk in and we're like, are we good? And we just like fist bumped and like walked upstairs for whatever punishment we were about to get. Right. It was, it wasn't just a brawl. It was a spectacle out on the town. It was, yeah. So it was a, it was a thing. And, um, Hunter and Hunter had had a little thing on his, I hit him in the nose and, uh, Harry and his face was all, you know, black and blue. And Harry goes, Jesus, Hunter, what the fuck happened to your face? And because um, we thought we were going up there to get like mat drilled to the floor to like, we thought we were done. We thought we were in trouble and he didn't know about it. And he just wanted to have us come up and watch film with him and do some drills like and. So Hunter had to make up on the fly that he heard it doing extra drills with all of us. And one of some guy punched him by accident in the face. And um, I don't know if Harry ever knows that to this day, but I, I'll never forget it because Hunter and I then go play golf later in the day. And we go to get five guys afterwards for dinner and we run into Tony Alford and he comes up to us and he's like, Hey, heard you guys had some fun last night. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, oh man, you guys all know about that. And he's like, of course we know about that. Like, and I was like, well, I don't. We were joking because we didn't. We told him the story, and we're like, I don't think Harry does. So, thank God he didn't, because we probably would have been in a uh, in a really really tough spot. <laughs> but but well, the best part about that, that for Harry is that it was just like the you know the fear that you had as a young guy, as a freshman or a sophomore, yeah. of what he could do to you. Um, and, and, and all that stuff and the, and how you've disappointed them is really what it was because you knew the anger, you, you learned how to deal with the anger. You learned how to deal with, cause he was just coaching you so hard. He wanted you to be so great, so bad, but you also knew with that kind of respect and, 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 and intensity came with some, some prices. And, and so we were so, so scared, but the unity that he brought us together because of that, um, is probably what he was trying to do in the first place. I yeah. love it. That story is untoppable. So we'll yeah. stop with that. Uh, Mike, thanks for, so much for uh, coming on the show, share that memory, but also uh, just sort of talk about Notre Dame's offensive line. Cause like, like you said, I think like you're experiencing in the NFL right now, not a lot of people know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to offensive line. Yeah. Play. And, uh, and you know, and all those sites that can grade offensive linemen without being in the offensive line room, you know, they're, they're making everybody think they get it, but I don't understand how you put a number to an offensive lineman. So We'll see how that goes. Um, we'll see how the trend continues, and hopefully uh, solidity will prevail. All right, Mike, thanks so much. Appreciate you. Yeah. See you guys. Thanks. All right, that was Mike McGlinchey. An amazing interview, as promised, I believe, uh, to even the most uh, skeptical of our Shamrock listeners. <laughs> Who would be skeptical in question Mike McGlinchey? I'd like to meet that person because they're they're not very bright. No. <laughs> Uh, no, and uh, I, it was. I thought like one. His he stand story was freaking gold. Um, I was so. It glad went in a completely different direction. Than yeah, I, it's like, <laughs> I didn't know where he was taking that. And I was like, I let, but I like where it's going. Keep to keep well, talking. And we both you know, thought of a certain incident in mind that we thought he was 
rehashing, but it turns out it was a completely different incident that had to have happened during uh, his freshman or, or redshirt freshman year because uh, he, he shot out Tony Alford then, who, who left after 2014. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess uh, not everything makes the papers in South Bend uh, after hours. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah, it was – and I, I thought just sort of I – re, I really was glad that I got to sort of talk about, like, okay, you're a good line, but let's see if you can run on X, Y, or Z um, – you know that because Clemson is coming up and that'll be very difficult to run and like look it's probably a good transition to Pittsburgh this week number one rush defense in the country um I realize statistics are a little bit all over the place right now because no one's played anybody um but this is this is really it's certainly Notre Dame's biggest test of an opponent this season even though I realize Pittsburgh has lost three in a row but without question it's the first team that probably is going to come into a game and think they can stand up to Notre Dame's biggest strength. So I'm I'm kind of fascinated to see how that plays out. I, I wonder if it's going to ultimately – I'm not going to go as far as NC State in 2017, but that was supposed to be uh, a great defensive front and a great run defense, and they destroyed them. Um, I'm not saying that Notre Dame is going to destroy Pittsburgh in a similar way, but it's there are real stakes in this game probably for the first time all season. Pitt leads the nation in sacks. Um, they've slowed down considerably – considering they had 17 sacks over the course of the first three games when they were 3-0 and have lost three games since. Pittsburgh under Pat Narduzzi is kind of emblematic of the ACC Coastal Division and, in the case of this season, the ACC non-Clemson Division. You just never know the highs or lows you're going to get from this team every single week. They were, I think, 14-point favorites against NC State, and they were undefeated at that time. And I told anyone who would listen – uh, that's the most absurd line I've ever seen. Trusting Pitt to, to win a game by that many points is just fool's gold. And sure enough, they go out and lose the game completely and have it one sense. Uh, they, they're the last team to win in Clemson in 2016, a Clemson team that ended up winning the national title that year. They beat Penn State that year, who I think finished fifth in the country in the regular season. They ended UCF's regular season winning streak last year uh, with the Pitt special. Um, and don't be surprised if Pat Narduzzi <laughs> rolls out his bag of tricks for the Notre Dame game this Saturday either. Um, this is a big game for, for, for Pittsburgh whenever they get them. Uh, they were a blown field goal and blown call away from ruining Notre Dame's perfect season in 2012. They beat them in 2013. Uh, they were a play away from probably beating them in 2018, a Notre Dame team that, that went undefeated in the regular season and went on to go to the college football playoff. 2015, Narduzzi's first year, was uh, the only time really in recent memory where, where Notre Dame kind of took care of business and eliminated uh, eliminated them pretty early. Brandon Wimbush even got into that game late in the season. Oh, how can I forget? 2011, 15-12. Thank you, Jonas Gray. Um, mm. That was uh, another game that I've been trying to erase from my memory. So uh, – it's a root canal of the game if you're Notre Dame, and, and even more so if you really want to dig and, and look at Notre Dame's performance on offense last week and Pittsburgh's performance this week. But uh, all those highs I just mentioned of Pittsburgh, I, I would add uh, they lost at home last year to Miami and Boston College teams that both did not go bowling, and um, they've never really been able to, to be consistent. They, they get up for big games, and they, they play down to their competition. So who knows what's going to happen on Saturday. I'm curious to hear uh, your forecast of this, Pete. Well, it's – the 2015 game is interesting because I, I, I get it. It was Narduzzi's first season. I mean, it was still a decent pit team, if I'm not mistaken. They were good, yeah. They won eight um, games, I think. But that Notre Dame team was built to completely rip apart Pat Narduzzi's defense because they could get deep on the perimeter and they had a quarterback who could get the ball there. 
you know, Will Fuller in that game, I think he finished with like 150 yards and three touchdowns. Um, oh, yeah, that was when Narduzzi refused yeah. to not to refuse to do anything other than single coverage. Yeah, because seven catches, buck fifty-two, three scores, um, and then Josh Adam also had 20 carries for 147. Um, CJ Prosize actually went out of that game with a concussion. Um, I think late in the first half. And Deshaun Kaiser finished 19 of 26 for 262 and five touchdowns, no picks. So, I mean, this Notre Dame team is not built to stress Pitt that way. They don't have Will Fuller on the outside. They don't have Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback. Um, the run game is really good. So I, I think that's why I'm I'm probably more wary of this matchup than I normally would be because Notre Dame's passing game has not just hasn't come along, I think, in the way that anybody around Notre Dame would have expected. If it, if it had, if we were talking about Kevin Austin as the next Will Fuller and Ian Book had, had sort of gotten into a good groove with the deep ball, then then I would feel differently. Then I would feel like Notre Dame was set up to really play them off the field. Now, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I'm, this is tricky. I asked Mike McGlinchey this for a reason. I want to go back to something Brian Kelly said Monday. Um, well, Going back to what he said Saturday on the field was this was a learning experience for our football team, which drew a lot of eyebrows just because, you know, as you mentioned, three-year starting quarterback, uh, all-senior offensive line. Uh, it was starting experience. You know, they shouldn't need a learning experience like this. And Kelly got asked Monday to kind of expand on that a little bit. And I'll read the quote verbatim here. Quote, uh, they're extremely confident in their ability. Their preparation is outstanding. I mean, it's really good. They understand our process. We have to play with a bit more sense of urgency. And sometimes the clock's ticking, and you need to play with that sense of urgency from the very first play. And I think you learn about those things as we move along. And part of that is in the way I prepare them. As I mentioned, we got to be really careful and cognizant of how they're prepared, and they got to also understand that as elite players, turning up that sense of urgency is important as well. So we're all learning. I've got to do a better job preparing them and coaching them, and they have got to turn it up that level of urgency as well. They're extremely confident in their ability and their belief that they're going to win. They've won a lot of football games, but those are things that we learn together as we shape the 2020 football team, end quote. Uh, that's a long-winded way of me saying they just seem way too comfortable. And, and I think getting on a plane, getting out of their comfort zone, mm. going on a road environment, even if it's not hostile, uh, is going to wake them up a little bit. I just do. I just think it's human nature that when you're so much better than everyone you've played dating back to the Michigan game of last year and uh, can essentially roll the ball out and run, 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 in the case of Last year, it was just Ian Book. In the case of this year, it's whoever has the ball in their hands at that time. Um, and they've played mostly home games, all home games this year, but mostly home games dating back to that Michigan game. Um, I just think they, they, they need a good kick in the ass, you know, for, from an emotional standpoint. And I think they, they might get that by going on the road. I wonder if they got that this week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Maybe. Thursday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when I, when I hear you read that quote, um, it makes me think that this was probably a pretty difficult week of practice. Um, that – the practice vibe was we lost the game opposed to we won it. Um, because, like, I, I don't know, it's been interesting to sort of hear, and I don't want to, like, micro-listen to Brian Kelly more than I already do, but, you know, he's, he's mentioned Clark Lee a couple times by name about, like, I told Clark this, I told Clark that about guys I want to play more or we need to fix this. Um, you know, after the game it was Kevin Austin's got to make more plays, Braden Lindsay, Javon McKinley, Ben Skoranek, like really calling out guys by name. Um, and I don't – this is not a like he's calling out the players. Right. Like I hate – that's stupid. That's not what we're talking about here. But it's, it's, a, it's a public challenge to some of these guys 
that is unique. Uh, and it's, it's a different lever for him to go to. So I, I wonder what kind of response they get from that this week. Cause I, I think there are guys on this team that probably won't, that lever won't, you know, hit a response. It won't, he won't get what he wants out of there, but there's gotta be guys on this team where it does, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if Ian book can do a whole lot more, but certainly that receiver position can, um, you know, so if, if that lever, if he's pushing the right buttons with Kevin Austin, then I think the offense has a chance to be special. Um, but you gotta, he's, he's just going to have to find some new, new levers to pull, I think this week. And if he does, then this, this could be a very convincing performance. I, I think they're going to have to respond one way or another. I mean, you can't just sleepwalk through that Pittsburgh defense. I mean, no, they're going to get theirs. Maybe the offense won't make you pay uh, on the other end of it, but, but you're going to have to work for it this week. Um, I, I don't think you have a choice, but, but to, to wake up, to be locked in, uh, to not feed off the energy of the crowd, good or bad, because that's not going to be a, a factor, but feed off the, the energy is not the right word, but the, the circumstance, the situation of having a team meal Friday night in South Bend and then getting on a plane and going to uh, 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 to Pittsburgh and, and to Heinz Field the next day and having a different kind of road trip, even though it's a place you've been, uh, I guess most people on this roster haven't, but this program has been uh, enough times in recent years to, to, to know what the protocols are. Everything's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's already a sense of urgency in, in, from the standpoint of, We've got one bye week left. We've already postponed one game. Like we've got to be on our p's and q's as far as how we're taking care of ourselves from a an actual health standpoint Monday to Friday. And I think Brian Kelly got at that a couple times this week when he said we got to be careful about how we push them uh, at practice. Um, I, I, I just think there's going to be a, a certain mindset that's going to have to, to infiltrate this entire program that is going to naturally be there when you get on a bus, get on a plane, put on the white jerseys and go in an unfamiliar environment for the first time. I just don't think, I think playing against four overmatched opponents in front of eight to 10,000 fans just, just isn't doing it. Yeah. Well, I think it got stale by the end of it. Right. You know, it was novel at the beginning, um, you know, and and who doesn't love blowing somebody out 52 to zero. Like that's fun too. Playing at night against Florida state, good uniforms, all that great Louisville. I feel like, you know, the, the magic has dissipated at that point. Um, so maybe it comes back. Um, you know, it's like certainly the, the Clemson game in two weeks time is needs, needs no hype. It doesn't, is not, no one's going to be searching for energy at that point. So I don't know this weekend. I, you know, for prediction wise, I'm, you sound like you're leading pet. You know, it, they've won. I, after no, I'm not leaning Pitt because after the <laughs> after the Camping World Bowl, I said, you know what, I'm not going to pick them to lose to an unranked team until they lose to an unranked team. Like I just can't do it. Um, I went out on that limb in Orlando. It snapped. I fell. I broke my neck. Like it's over. Um, so I have to I have to continue to pick Notre Dame to beat teams that they're better and be, better than because they've won. I believe we're at 28 straight games against unranked competition. Um, Ten straight overall, longest win streak in college football going. I, you know, Pitt's not where that's going to come to an end. So, uh, you know, are, are they going to, I, but I do think it's going to be sort of a classic Notre Dame Pitt game. And by that, I mean, sort of ironically classic. Like um, last week's Louisville game. <laughs> yeah. Like last week's Louisville game, but maybe like add 10 points to each. Um, so I'll go, I'm going to go Notre Dame 24 Pitt 16. It's got to be a weird score. So 24, 16 Notre Dame. 
It's funny. So the line opened at eight uh, with an over under of 48 and a half. It is currently 10 and a half. That makes no sense. I hate that line. If you're like, well, I guess if you want to make money, I think you should bet on Pitt. It's 10 and a half, and, and the over under has dropped five points to 43 and a half. Um, I haven't taken a look at the weather forecast. I should probably do that before I make this kind of prediction, especially <laughs> after seeing 30 mile per hour winds in South Bend last week. I think Notre Dame finds something this week. I think they, they figure things out. I think they, they put things together. Um, I know the rule of thumb, especially this year in the ACC, is to always take underdogs to cover. Um, bleep favorites are just 7-12-1 against the spread in conference games so far. And keep having to remind myself these are conference games for Notre Dame, so that includes them. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this one 28-14. Uh, okay. Well, a little more comfortable and a less less odd. Which I guess is just mine. under. I, I I don't know if they're going to break thirty points without a defensive touchdown, which is entirely possible. Um, oh yeah, Pittsburgh. If Joey Yellen's playing, all due respect to him, it would be only a second career start. But uh, they just could do absolutely nothing uh, at Miami last week, especially in the red zone. I mean, every chance they got was a result of that defense making a big play. Um, and they're going to have to do it again, and they might do it again because that's a really good defense, especially up front. But uh, they're going to have a bigger challenge on their hands, I think, trying to, to, to go up against that Notre Dame offensive line, to go up against a veteran quarterback. Not that De'Aaron King isn't at Miami, but um, I, I just think Notre Dame's going to find something offensively that um, it's been lacking so far. And I think as long as the defense kind of holds serve, uh, they'll be just fine because Pitt, Pitt just doesn't have the, the weapons to make them pay. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's – if there's been like a little bit of a weakness, it's, you know, the quarterback run with mobile guys, Jordan Travis, Malik Cunningham. I don't think that uh, Pitt is going to offer that kind of challenge on Saturday. And by the way, your forecast Friday, sunny, 79. Saturday, high of 55, 40% chance of rain. That sounds like here, right? I yeah. mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a big drop Friday and Saturday here. Um, and maybe Kenny Pickett comes out, Willis Reed style, and beat number two Miami, and just, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, <laughs> my over-under game prop prediction for the week, I'm going to pivot away from Kevin Austin because I'm tired of talking about him until he actually puts up 60-plus yards. That was a great incompletion last week, Matt. Have, have respect. What would have cost me a lot of money um, or credibility points on here. Maybe I have to do the ad reads again. We should have had Mike McGlinchey do them. They would have been a lot more convincing. <laughs> Um, Ian Book deep balls I'll 20 yards or more two and a half over under completions or attempts <laughs> I was going for attempts I was going for completions but I'll go you know two and a half over I, I think it's going to be I bet he will have four four or five completions of 20 yards wow I, I'm going to go over as well um just have to at some point, and you're going to be forced to in this game because you're not going to get that easy yardage, or, or maybe you will, but you're really going to have to work for it, and you can't count on it to bail you out on third and short like you have or had um, in the last eight minutes last week against Louisville. I, I think uh, they're going to be tested uh, offensively in a way they haven't since from the, the coaching staff to the players on down. Um, and we'll see. Um, I'm interested to see because – Pittsburgh is – they just have a different identity every year. I mean, in 2016, they were a top-10 offense behind coordinator Matt Canada uh, and ACC Player of the Year uh, James Conner. And that, last year they were top-10 defense. I mean, they've just never been able to put it all together from a program standpoint. They just have these wild swings 
of too good on offense, too bad on defense, or, or the other way around. Um, and I, I think that the, that lack of, of offense is just – I mean, I can't pick Notre Dame to lose this um, without any real proven threats from Pittsburgh's offense so far. I can't. I mean, Pitt's defense will keep them in the game. The fact that it's a Notre Dame pick game and missed field goals and random interceptions and, and you name it tend to happen. Two number twos could be on the field for all we know. <laughs> Do they have two number zeros this year? I know they have Braden Lindsay. Um, the Desperado package we were referring to, by the way, the 2012 – Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Tino Sinceri induced twenty to six fourth quarter comeback that uh, birthed two point conversion. Jesus, Everett Golson diving to tie the game and send it overtime, uh, and then I don't remember the kick, the pit kicker's name. I think Harper. Harper wasn't yeah, blew it. Wasn't blew it. I wouldn't no, remember blew it. Blew it was on um, the twenty fifteen team. <laughs> yeah, Harper missed a short field goal that would have won it. Uh, Pete, I believe, was the first person publicly to discover the day after that. Notre Dame had two number twos on the field at yeah, uh, that time. Chris bit. Brown, the and hero, uh, a week before, and Ben Jackson. Yeah, it's um, – it, um, I, I don't know. I think that you make a good point about Pitt's defensive line because let, let's say that's a stalemate. Let's say that Notre Dame runs the ball a little bit, but not they don't win that matchup, but they don't lose it. Um, it's just sort of a draw. If you're telling me that the secondary matchup like that decides the game is – Mark Whipple versus Clark Lee. Well, I'm rolling with Clark Lee on that one. So I think that's that. That's where I think you know maybe Notre Dame's offensive line won't dominate the day, but I do think defensively, uh, from an instruction standpoint, from an X's and O's standpoint, they should just be so much better than Pitt, especially with a backup quarterback or a starter who's hobbled. Mark Whipple, a former UMass head coach who came into Notre Dame in 2015. Got the doors blown off him and opened his press conference by saying, we'll take the money and run. Yep. Thank you very much. Don't think he'll have that attitude this no, week. I appreciate that pragmatism. Also, also, Tommy Reese is, uh, what, 3-0 against Pat Narduzzi? 2-0? Mm. Uh, I mean, one was the worst game I've ever covered, the 2013 Michigan State game. Um, and the 2011 pick game, which yeah. might also be the worst <laughs> game we've ever covered. From an aesthetic standpoint. Um so he's yeah, I, don't go, know, I think he's looking to go three and zero. Yeah, yeah that, that I mean that's a fun matchup. Um, the Reese Narduzzi from a coaching. Oh, position. in twenty eighteen, so four and zero. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's a there's a there's a bunch of good subplots to watch on Saturday. So I mean it'll be a fun one. ABC three thirty p.m. Um, I will be at Heinz Field. You know, maybe I'll be more focused on the road, Matt. Um, you know, it's more energy. Um, but. Uh, should your post game podcast, yeah, just... and we will be back in the press box of Heinz Field for our post game podcast. Um, probably not as an insightful guest as Mark as Mike McGlinchey. I, I don't. Uh, we may have to start working in some post game guests at some point. But get, uh, get Mike Dicka while you're in the Steel yeah. City. He's always got some takes, <laughs> especially in 2020. That should be good. So until our post game podcast on Saturday evening, we'll be up Sunday as usual. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us for another episode of the Shamrock. Mm-hmm.